Okay, Father, Lord, we recognize that we do desperately need you. God, accept you open our understanding. God, accept you open our hearts. Then, Lord, we stand in danger of coming to your word in a very surface way, in a very fake way. And, God, we don't want that. Lord, we want to, we want to hear your truth. And, God, we want it driven into our hearts and our lives. And so, God, I'm praying that today would be a day where we as your people recognize that we need your power. We have no power. We have, you know, the strength that we have is so small. How are we going to do what you called us to do by our wisdom, our discernment, our strength, our ability? God, we're insufficient, and so we want to confess that this morning. But, Lord, we also want to confess that with you is all power, and uh, with you is the ability to change lives through us as your people. And so, God... We just submit ourselves to you this morning and say, have your way, Lord Jesus, be glorified. We pray in Christ's name, amen. amen. Okay, so here's what I want to lead with. Uh, MBT is at 40th and Walnut. Kaya is at 40th and Walnut because a lot of people prayed for a lot of years. And if I've heard it one time, I've heard it at least 40, 50 times especially as we trusted the Lord to begin to, 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 to assemble a local church at 40th and Walnut. I've heard this over and over again. You can't do that here. If you're going to have a Bible-based ministry, if you're going to say what the Bible says, if you're going to actually teach the whole counsel of God's Word, that's not going to be enough. You're not actually going to be able to do that. And I've heard everything from you're going to have to give away cigarettes and pizza, like crazy stuff, man. We have eaten a lot of pizza <laughs> over the, but I don't, I don't, I can't even imagine the scenario where I'm going to pass out cigarettes so that somebody will listen to the gospel. But, uh, you know, there's always tomorrow, I, I guess. But, but um, over and over, I've heard over the years, you can't, the Bible isn't enough. I'm so tired of hearing that because what God says to his people, that's what he will perform. Now, the question, though, is, is we've got so many cases, there's so many examples that we could point to where somebody is not able to do what the Word of God says they're supposed to be doing. Maybe not living the Christian life that God has called them to, not witnessing, testifying the gospel of Jesus Christ like we've been commanded to, and, 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 and impacting lives for the glory of God the way that the Word of God describes should be true of us. And the question then is, is where's the disconnect? Okay, well, I believe with all my heart, what we need is the power of God manifest in the lives of His people. And so I just want to do a little power survey this morning. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus told the disciples in verse 37 that the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. We need more workers for the work. And so what do we do? Well, because God wants to have his way in lives, we need to call on God to supply some more workers. And so that's verse 38. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Okay, so we can get excited about that because the other promise, Matthew 28, is that the Lord is with us in that work. And so it's not like we're working alone. Uh, there's nothing worse than having a big job that a bunch of people are supposed to do, and then everybody abandons you. The job has to get done, and then you're stuck with all the work. Uh, maybe you did all the dishes and it's your, you know, you got roommates, it's your turn to provide supper. So you, 
last pig left it a mess, so you had to clean out the kitchen. Then you had to cook the food. You only got to eat a little bit of the food. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. I'm, I'm washing the dishes. I'm cooking the meal. I'm washing the dishes. You, it's very easy to get the little red hen syndrome, isn't it? Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm getting stuck with all of the work. Where's the benefit? And that can happen sometimes in the work of the ministry. You feel like, man, where are, where are the throngs of people that are all fired up about what the Lord Jesus Christ told us to do? He gave us our list of chores. Why aren't we on, those, on that work like ducks get on June bugs? You know, why aren't we getting after it in Jesus' name? And it's, what in the world? Okay, so, man, Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you in the work. I think about that. I get excited. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You may think you're alone. No, we were just singing it, right? I am not alone. You are never alone in the work that God calls you to. Okay, but the harvest is hard. It's always difficult to do what God tells you to do because between the world, your flesh, and the devil, you've got bullies ganging up, conspiring to keep you from doing what God called you to do. So you've got to press forward in faith. Whenever we started MBT, uh, our first launch, right? We just got it started. We got the Bible studies going, and some drunk sideswiped about half our cars on, uh, on uh, Walnut Street. It's pretty demoralizing. Very, very, God, you got us. Oh, okay. All right. <coughs> when in doubt, punt. Uh, this one's not working either. Okay, it is. Okay. That's enough hose. I'm good. N- nothing's changed. What was it, three weeks ago? Two of our ladies, there were attempted, you know, attempted carjacking of our ladies. All that is just the enemy between the world your flesh and the devil there's going to constantly continuously be pushback anything to distract you depress you derail you anything to keep you from doing what the lord jesus christ commanded should be true of your life the enemy is working to keep you from it to keep you away from it so we got to move forward in faith i don't i, I keep saying this to mbt let me say it again to Kaya. Don't waste your life. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to play at church just holding services. I don't want to play at church the way little kids play house. Little kids play house. They're not married. They don't have kids. The whole thing is pretend, right? Uh, you say, well, it's good practice. Well, practice is fine, but at some point, we've got to get on the field. At some point, we've got to actually do the work that we've been called to do. So I don't want to be guilty of going through life just holding services. Man, I want to see the person of God transforming the lives of God's people. I want to see what God promises over the lives of his people made a reality in our ministry. The early church, they got full of faith and God used them in amazing ways. In Acts chapter 2, we see that everyone is amazed and marveling. Why? Because God's using a common man. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 10, everyone is filled with wonder and amazement. Why? Because the lame are walking. Lives are being transformed. And by Acts chapter 17, the world is at wonder over the strength, the power that God is evidencing through his people. So much so that their testimony is that they have turned the world upside down. God can work. I mean, the earth's a pretty big ball of matter, isn't it? It takes a lot of strength. To turn the world upside down. Wow, that's a metaphor for disrupting society. It's societal change. Well, okay, that's still 
societal momentum is heavy, isn't it? <laughs> it takes a lot of strength to turn the world upside down. And yet, that's what God did through his people. The church was blowing up. They were so full of faith that the first service added, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, 3,000 souls. And then in chapter 4, I mean, next chapter over, 5,000 souls. And then by Acts chapter 5, verse 14, they just quit counting. It's multitudes. Right? Why? Why? You can't keep up. Okay, so by the time you get to Acts chapter 8, there's a persecution that scatters the early church. Remember, the commission was start in Jerusalem, cover the suburbs, Judea, and then go to Samaria. Samaritans are your countrymen, but they don't think like you. Culturally, they're very different. This is what I was telling our LFBI students yesterday in our Acts class. Uh, Samaria is like our East Coast, West Coast brethren, right? They're, they're fellow countrymen, but they don't think like us, us Midwesterners. You know, it's a different cult. I mean, there's a lot in common, but there's also just a lot that's very different. So that's Samaria, our Samaria. But then there's the uttermost, isn't there? We go to the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is cross-cultural ministry. Well, Samaria, that's Acts chapter 8. That's their, that's their West Coast, their East Coast brethren. Uh, a lot in common, but a lot different. It, it took persecution to get the church out of Judea and ministering cross-culturally. But many people say that by the time you get to Acts chapter 8, there were conservatively 40,000 people in the church at Jerusalem. Most people guesstimate that it was closer to 80, maybe even 100,000 believers in Judea at that time. That's amazing. In just a few very short years, they went from zero to full-on rocking the world for the glory of Jesus Christ. How did they do that? Moody said, and this is, now, just contextualize this. Moody said this in the late 1800s, okay? Um, middle, late 1800s. He says, a great many people are thinking that we need new measures, that we need new churches, that we need new organs. That's what we need. We need a new organ. <laughs> we need new organs and that we need new choirs and all these new things. That is not what the church needs today. So today it's, you know, smoke machines, a light show, uh, three-story water slide surrounding, you know, you got to have a lazy river moat around your church property. You, know, so, uh, you need a gaming wall. You know, like a wall. I don't know. You've got to have all these things. <laughs> Moody says, we don't need any of that. He says, it's the old power that the apostles had. That is what we need. We need that power. And if we have that in our churches, there will be new life. Then we'll have new ministers. We need the same old ministers renewed with power filled with the Spirit. See, here's the deal. People haven't... I know you're being told that people are changing all the time and that, you know, Gen X is very different. It's a very different generation from the baby boomers and the millennials are completely different. That's a different generation from Gen X. And what is it now? It's Y or Z, right? Z. We're on Z. Are there, is there anybody that's Z here? You're part of generation, generation Z? Okay, so, like, we're not even supposed to be able to have a conversation with you. Is what society tells us. You're just so different. No, people aren't. People are people. Okay, the people in the first century, they had all the same needs. They had all the same desires. All the same drives. Now the context is completely different. Obviously, uh, nobody in the first century church was throwing their life away, lusting after you know 
whatever would set them up for the best and latest video game console. And they didn't think like that. And yet, they would pursue very temporal, frivolous things that would give them happiness in the moment, but no real joy in the lifetime. Does that make sense? People are people. They all have the same fears. They have the same lusts. They have the same desires. They have the same needs. They have the same build in terms of their soul and their makeup. And so, you know, we look at the early church and say, well, you know, they had great fruit because they were so different back then. No, no, no. What they had was the power of God on their ministry. That's what they had. And so people will look at that and they'll say, well, you know, we need to make sure that we have new methodologies because man is so different. And, and we got to make sure that we're doing a good job reaching Westport Willie or Overland Park Pete or, or Lee Summit Larry. You know, and so we spend our time trying to identify this demographic. And, and the reality is, is God's called us to reach the nations, all peoples. The objective isn't that we get a few people gathered at 40th and Walnut. This is not the end game. The end game is that every nation, every tribe, every tongue will know that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so we can get some things going on here, but that can't be enough for us. God told us that he was with us in the ministry of reaching the nations. And so we, you know, never mind the fact that in all of these communities, God has brought the nations of the world to us, red, brown, yellow, black, and white. We're all precious in God's sight. Uh, that's what our churches ought to look like. It shouldn't look like a homogenous uh, setup of, you know, Overland Park Pete or Westport Willie or whatever. Okay. No, it ought to look like young and old. It ought to look like red, brown, yellow, black, and white. It ought to look like professional and blue collar. Whatever God has in a community, that can be a church. Amen? Amen. Um, you know, heaven isn't going to look like a bunch of Latinos. That's not what heaven is going to look like. Now, praise the Lord, there'll be a bunch of Latinos in heaven. But heaven's not all white. It's not all black. It pleases God to see the peoples that he has made come together as one family, one body, one family for his glory. Well, how are we going to reach all these people? Well, the reality is, is, you know, Generation Y probably does think a little bit differently than Generation X. But I got a Bible that speaks to both of us. Amen. And I've got a call that is to all of us. Okay, so if I've got the word, right, I've got the tools, and I see what the work is, but if I'm not getting the results that God has called me to, then something is wrong. And I want to submit to you this morning that the thing that is wrong is not God's word, it's not the work that He's called us to. Uh, there's something yet missing in us, right? There's something yet missing from, from my life that I desperately need. And in my case, the case that I want to make with you this morning is this. We need the power of God for the work of God. Desperately, we need it. Okay, so let's break it down. We need God's power, and this is how Jesus laid it out in the Great Commission. You see this at the end of the four Gospels. But in Matthew 28, he said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. Because I've been given all power, I am now commanding you to do what I'm telling you to do. Reach the nations with the gospel. So here's power key number one. You want to get this down. There is power in Christ's authority. Authority is your key word there. There's power in Christ's authority. We don't go to the nations because they ask us to come. 
It's not up to them. Does that make sense? You don't go to your family with the gospel of Jesus Christ because they ask you to. It's not up to them. Jesus told you to go. You're not going. The people that you're going to open the word of God with, you're not doing it on their authority. Now, if you're wise, you will trust the Lord for their permission in the moment. Does that make sense? And that's the model that we see in Scripture. But we're not asking people's permission because we've already been told what to do. Amen? Amen. If there's a problem, maybe an accident, the police don't ask for permission to show up. They come in and take charge of the situation, don't they? They take charge of the environment. They're not asking if it's okay if they exercise their authority. Jesus said, all power, right? All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. So we're going in the authority of Christ. Why? Because he's king of kings and lord of lords. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 says, he is the only potentate. That's a good word. Turn to your neighbor and say potentate. potentate. You know what a potentate is? It's right there in the text. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the only power, right? He is the only authority. Okay, so now let's pick it up in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. He says, all power is given. He tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Look at verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We need the promise of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God, if we're going to effectively do the work of God. And if we have the Holy Ghost, if we have the Spirit of God, then we'll do the work. Ye shall be witnesses, verse 8, starting in Jerusalem and ultimately to the nations. And so whenever you look at that, okay, so here is 120 people in, I mean, this is, this is who is assembling in Acts chapter 1. You've got 120 people who are responsible for the nations to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make disciples of all nations. Okay, whenever I look at that and I see the magnitude, if I'm them, I'm tempted to despair right then because it's just going to be too hard. How are we going to do this? Uh, They're so wise. They don't respond with fear. They don't get overwhelmed. It's like a little kid, you know, clean up your room. And then they just sit down in the middle of the room and start crying. Why? Because they just made it. It's a horrible mess. It's easier just to burn down the house and build a new house (laughs) than to clean up this magnitude of mess. Okay, so they don't do that. They don't do any of that. But they recognize that what they've just been told to do is so far beyond them. They recognize except God does it through them they're not going to be able to obey the command. And so they respond in prayer. Wait for the promise of the Father. Ye shall receive power. You have to have this power if you're going to do the work of ministry. Jesus said he had to have the power of God to do the work of God in Luke chapter 4. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because lives need help. Souls need to be set free. Broken people need to be made whole. That's why the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. So they recognize this. God, we're going to need your power in order to be obedient to your call. So if we're going to step out and engage, we're going to do it under Christ's authority, but we need Christ's help. So here's the beautiful thing of a believer. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 tells us that the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost that indwells us, he is called the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because Christ sent him. But also, Christ is him. Okay, this is the part where it just gets beyond me. And I've been trying to, from time to time, I'll take a run at this, the, the Trinity, the Godhead. And I get it, but I, it's so far beyond me, I'll never fully understand it. 
Jesus, you remember in John chapter 3, he's talking to Nicodemus, and he's talking about the Son of Man. We're interacting, okay? You need a right relationship with me, and, and, and who is it that you need? You need me. And he talks about the Son of Man being there on earth, but also being in heaven. Why? Yes, Jesus is fixed in a place and at a time in his earthly ministry, but because he is the omnipresent God, he's also everywhere else. He's also in heaven Uh, He is God the Father. He is Christ Jesus the Son. He is the Holy Ghost. Our God is three in one. And so there's another sense in which the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And here's how it works. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17. Now Christ himself, here's how he's with us. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. Christ dwells in our heart by faith. That's an amazing thing. To think of the infinite God dwelling in you, dwelling in your heart, in your life. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? Sometimes I'll be pondering that concept. I'm like, how do I not just like completely burn up? <laughs> be like a overloading a, a, a transistor or resistor. Or just Why don't I just explode into flame? My God is a consuming fire. How, am I, how does that thing, man, I'll never fully understand it. I'm just grateful for it. Okay, so the apostles get this. We need the person of God to work through us. He said we'd receive the Holy Ghost. We don't have him yet. That hadn't taken place yet. We're not to Acts chapter 2 yet. So what is their response? Well, they wait for the promise. How do they do it? So here's point number two. They pray. The response to the overwhelming magnitude of Christ's command is let's get humble and pray. So verse 14 says they continued, they they obey, they're back in Jerusalem. Verse 12, verse 14, they obey, and they continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Okay, so when you have the promise of God's word to you, it is the height of wicked unbelief if you don't call on God in prayer for the reality of that promise, for that promise to be received. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 commands us, to watch under prayer. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 tells us to continue in prayer. And so that's what the apostles did. They're continuing in prayer. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, they're there again in one accord. They're continuing in prayer and then they receive the promise. So here's power key number two. Power key number two, there's great power in prayer. And we know this because the opportunities that we get to serve God are as we move in prayer. And there's a second key that goes right along with it. The Holy Ghost is the power of God for our witness. God told you, God told you when you had the Holy Ghost, you'd be a witness unto him. If you're not a witness, then that begs the question, do you have the Holy Ghost? Are you being filled with the Holy Spirit? If you're not being a witness, why is that? Because the statement of Christ in Scripture is, you shall receive the Holy Ghost And the direct result of that would be, ye shall be witnesses unto me, starting right where you're at to everywhere else. Okay, ye shall be witnesses unto me. And so (coughs) that happened in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Ghost came upon the early church, and immediately they started witnessing. So you see how this works? Here's the promise. You'll receive the Holy Ghost. You will witness. We don't have the Holy Ghost. Let's call on the Lord for that promise. The promise is fulfilled And then immediately they're stepping out in faith. They're being a witness. Does that make sense? 
I feel like I'm in the way of the PowerPoint because everybody's doing this. <laughs> you might have to. What if we do this? We'll, uh. <laughs> How's that? Probably sucks for you guys right here. <laughs> I can move back over. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to pace a little bit. That's going to help. Okay, so they do that, and then in Acts chapter 3, 3,000 souls are added to the church. Or Acts chapter 2, sorry. Then in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John go up for prayer, verse 1. It's the ninth hour. And they meet a lost man, and he can't help himself. That's your next key. That's the next thing you want to get down. You've got to understand, the lost can never help themselves. In Acts chapter 3, you've got a picture of a man who needs Christ. In Acts chapter 3, you've got a lame man who has no walk with God. Do you see the picture? He's lame in his feet. The Bible says he's been lame from birth. For 40 years, this guy has been unable to walk. He has no walk. Other people carry him to the temple where he just lays there and begs for help. And yet, his life never changes. What's the problem? He hasn't met Jesus yet. He hasn't been healed yet in the name of Jesus. And then we'll see this man receives healing in Jesus' name, and it changes everything. He goes from being lame his whole life, no walk, to leaping and dancing and praising God, glorifying God. Now he has a walk with God. Okay, so the lost in this picture, they can't help themselves. They can't walk on their own. He's a certain lame man from his mother womb. He's carried. They lay him daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. These guys that whoever they are, they are carrying him a lot. And they put him in a place where the rich people are most inclined to enter in and out of the temple. So he asks, he begs of them that entered into the, that entered into the temple. You know, he's got his pack of pencils and, or his chiclets. And as people walk by, he's like, hey, you want to buy a pencil? Hey, if you uh, travel with us in some of these, these trips, we'll go different places around the world. You have little kids trying to sell you chiclet, chiclet, little piece of gum. Give me some money. Um, what are they doing? Man, they're, they're begging. They're desperate. Anytime you're out here on the corner trying to sell a piece of gum for money, uh, you're on hard times, aren't you? Okay, so this guy, he, he can't work. He can't provide for himself. He, can, he has no life in and of himself. And so Peter looks at him and says, hey, look at me. Look at me. You see, salvation is unsolicited, but it's always offered. The lost aren't asking you, hey, come, give me the gospel. That's the exception that proves the rule. What we have to do is go and offer it. Why? Because there's none. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. There's none that are righteous. No, not one. There's none that understand it. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 tells us that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Except God says, hey, I know what you need. You need a right relationship with me, so I'm going to send my... You're not asking for somebody to come make you uncomfortable. You're not asking for somebody to come and tell you that you're a sinner, that you're, you're a rebel against God, and except you see your sin dealt with at Calvary 2,000 years ago, you're going to go into a Christless eternity. Yeah. Nobody asks for, hey, I want, I want one of the most uncomfortable interactions of my life. Could you come provide that for me? <laughs> uh, but yet... God does love the world. He's not willing that any would perish. And so that has to be offered. Salvation must be offered. 
But to get salvation, you have to believe and receive the message. Why? Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. Peter, verse 4, look at me. Verse 5, he thinks he's going to get money. He gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. Oh, (laughs) well then why are you interrupting me? I'm trying to get paid here. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give thee. How many know that Christ dwelling in your heart by faith is better than any number in any bank account, anywhere in the world, any place in time? It is a priceless treasure, isn't it? What I have, I'm going to give to you. Here it is. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Now, if the guy didn't believe what he just heard, he wouldn't have stood. Have you ever picked up a baby that doesn't want to stand? (laughs) Passive aggressive. Can't make it. That's what he would have done. But instead, he's like, I've watched everybody else do it. I would like to have a walk of my own. Immediately, his feet and ankle bones received strength. And Peter explained the miracle this way. Look down at verse 13. Here's power key number four. There is power in the name of Jesus. Okay, are you guys tracking this? You see the pattern? You see the parallel? Power key number one, there's power in Christ's authority. We need that. Number two, there's great power in prayer. There's great power in the Holy Ghost for our witness. But we go in Jesus' name. This is Jesus, his authority. There's power in the name of Jesus. And in his name, verse 13, through faith in his name hath made this man strong. That's how it works for salvation, isn't it? Don't miss the picture. We're saved by grace through what? Faith. Faith in what? Faith in the person and the finished work of who? Jesus. Jesus Christ. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. At some point you heard that Jesus... Jesus, his name means God saves, Jehovah saves us. Jesus came and lived the life that we couldn't live, right? He is the only one that was good. He lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we had coming to us so that we could be set free from our sin, so that we could believe on him for salvation and eternal life. That's an amazing thing. Jesus saves. The name of Christ is a name of power. He says, in his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Before he believed on the name of Jesus Christ, this guy's life was a mess. He had no walk, but the moment he believes on Christ, he believed that God can heal him in Jesus' name. Look at verse 8. Here's the results of, of faith, of believing on the name of Jesus. And he, leaping up, stood and walked. And entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew who he was, verse 10, right? This is the guy who's been lame for 40 years, begging for 40 years. And as the lame man, which was healed, held Peter and John. Because that's what you do when you can walk for the first time after 40 years. You don't let go of the people that brought you that good news. Right? Whenever some of you here, you're newly saved. Do not let go of the people that led you to Christ. Why? Because they're going to show you how to have a walk in Christ. Does that make sense? You, you, you need to be saved. And once you're saved, you need to be... What comes next? You need to be discipled. You need, yeah, you need to be baptized. You need to follow as a disciple. There's a lot of good answers here. Just give me the one I want. 
it's one thing to be saved, but you need to know what it's like to live saved, to walk saved. And so he doesn't let these guys go. You see, the, it's an amazing picture, isn't it? There's a lot there. All the people ran together unto them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And so there's another part of the picture, your testimony of salvation, your testimony of new life, a new walk with Christ. Don't hide it. What does he do? He starts leaping and praising God. Leap. Praise the Lord. This relationship that you have with the Lord, people ought to know about it because that is going to be the greatest tool, the most powerful tool that you have outside the gospel itself. Your testimony is what God's going to use to bring other people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Yes. So they all run. Well, so did the religious rulers. Okay, so they got a problem with this preaching and this healing in Jesus' name. And so when you get that, now we're in Acts chapter 4. You didn't know you could get through the Bible this fast, did you? And yet we're just trucking right through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, they arrest these apostles. And then look at the question in verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, the religious rulers asked the apostles, by what power or by what name have you done this? So their first question is, by what power have you done this? See, they knew these things were beyond the ability of the apostles to perform. So the question is, who's helping you? How are you doing this? Okay, this is exactly what they asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. Check out Matthew chapter 12. They bring a man possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he, Jesus, healed him in so much that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And the people were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? Is not this, in other words, what they're saying is, is, that, is not this the promised Messiah of Scripture? This is the one that Israel has been waiting for. Well, that made the Pharisees nervous. If this is the son, the son of David, the promised Messiah, that means we don't rule and reign over God's people. He does. Okay, so the Pharisees hear it, verse 24, and they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. In other words, the only reason these devils obey him is because he's the king of them. He's the king of devils. Well, he is king of kings and lord of lords, but he's no Satan, right? So they accuse Jesus of working miracles in the name and in the power of Satan himself. They couldn't deny the fact that the, the deaf and the speechless can hear and talk. They can't deny that. They can't deny that lives are changed. So what do people do when they don't want to submit themselves to God? When they don't want to actually consider the evidence, what they do is they begin to work to illegitimize what's happened. Does that make sense? In other words, if I don't like what has happened, I'm going to try to smear it. I'm going to try to illegitimize it. I'm going to try to cast doubt on it. And that's exactly what they're doing. Jesus heals this man, and they say, well, you did it by the power of Satan. They illegitimize it. And this is what's called, by the way, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because people need to be healed. People need to be set free. And whenever the religious rulers are equating those miracles to the power of Satan instead of the power of God's spirit. They're blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. People ask today, man, I'm really worried. I'm not, you know, I don't want to blaspheme the name of Christ or I don't want to blaspheme the spirit. Uh, Pastor, do you think I've done that? Am I damned to hell now? And let me just tell you, the only way you could blaspheme the Holy Spirit is you would have to equate, again, if the context of scripture is what determines the meaning of scripture, Okay, if usage of words determine meaning, 
then the only way you can identify or quantify blaspheming the Holy Spirit is you would have to have seen the miracles of Jesus Christ and then attributed them to the power of Satan. Does that make sense? Can you blaspheme the Holy Spirit in that way? No. The only other way that you can even come close to doing that is when the Spirit of God confirms the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you don't attribute that to the working of God in your life, but to the working of Satan. In other words, if you reject Christ, you're rejecting the work of the Spirit. If you, if you die in that rebellion, if you die rejecting that work of the Spirit of God, the Word of God, that God is bringing to bear on your life, if you die in that rebellion, are you damned to hell? Absolutely. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. There is only one way to the creator, and that is through Christ. Amen? Amen. Okay, so people are like, you know, I, I said, oh God, I took the Lord's name in vain. Did I blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Am I on my way to hell? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Okay. But the only way to blaspheme the Holy Spirit would be to attribute Jesus' miracles to the power of Satan. So you lost your chance. You're 2,000 years too late to do that. You should have gotten up earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Try to do that. Okay. So here it is, man. This sign is proof to these religious rulers that Jesus is speaking truth. And now, here in Acts chapter 3, here's another sign that God's in this movement. Yeah, you killed Jesus, but he's back. Lives are still being changed. And here's this dude, lame from birth for over 40 years. And hello, he's walking, he's leaping, and he's giving praise to God. By what power? And then they ask, by what name? And so pick it up in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you, unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he gives plenty of uh, references there. You can't miss who he's talking about. Let's get even more specific. Whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. This Jesus who you rejected, he's taken over. You are losing your position of power. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name. The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There is none other name given under heaven whereby among men whereby we must be saved. So they'd killed Christ. God raised him from the dead. They got rid of Christ and he's back. And now everybody's talking about his resurrection. Remember one time over 500 saw him at once. At a minimum the 120 saw him raptured. Slow-mo rapture. He just ascends out of their sight. Um, I mean if you're going to witness a rapture. You want to see a slow moment, <laughs> you know, in all the uh, Left Behind movies and, and uh, the videos that people will make. There'll be some lightning and a crash and a blinding light, and, and I'm here preaching, and then all of a sudden the mic drops and, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, some of them, if they want to be a little more graphic, it'll be a pile of clothes and blood, you know, all the blood right here. We can talk about that later if you got questions, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and then you know, like. Maybe, you know, in a room this big, let's just go statistically, probably two-thirds of us are gone just like that, and the other third, 
should have been paying attention. <laughs> the other third sitting there all looking around, you know. But when Jesus was raptured, it was this ascending, this slow-mo, and then the cloud receives them out of their sight. Okay, so there it is. Everybody's talking about it. At least 120 saw that. And every time they turn around, these Pharisees are running into someone who's claiming that their life will never be the same because they place their faith and trust in the, the name of Jesus. And guys, with all my heart, that's what I'm trusting God for, for Kansas City. Um, so help us, God, by his grace. We're going to win souls and make disciples. We're going to train and equip leaders. Uh, we're just getting started. But, man, by God's grace, we planted a church in Lee Summit. And Living Faith and Lee Summit, they're just MBT and Lee Summit. Uh, they're their own local church, but we train them, we equip them, we're still working with them, and now the disciples are multiplying in Lee Summit. Amen. So help us God, by his grace, we sent a team to Tampa. Uh, that's MBT, and T Living Faith in Tampa. We've got two of the Living Faith Tampa members here, so... Uh, Schaefer mom, Schaefer son, uh, is Schaefer dad in town, or is he he's still back in Tampa? Okay, so we're we're praying for like this is where we get fervent in prayer for the university, right? Um, and it's you're looking at um, Rockers, yeah, Rockers. So be praying for admissions at Rockers. They they want a tall, good-looking Latino. <laughs> That's what they want. So. Because we want a tall, good-looking man. Uh, but that's what living faith in Tampa is, right? Not just tall, good-looking Latinos, but MBT in Tampa. In other words, we're trusting God that people will just keep running into these living faith people. That everywhere they go, they're running into people who are full of faith that what God said he meant. And through faith in his name, we're seeing lives transformed for the glory of Jesus Christ. Is this making sense? Yes. So these guys are running into these people all the time. People who are being changed in Jesus' name because the name of Jesus is the name above all names. That's whose name we did this in. It's through, again, Acts 3.16, through faith, right? His name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. Faith in the name of Jesus has the power to heal Kansas City. Certainly has the power to heal Midtown, doesn't it? We ought to believe. We ought to act like that. We ought to act like we believe that. Yeah. We ought to be going to people who aren't asking us to come, but in Jesus' name, showing them how they can stand and walk, have a walk with God. Okay, so faith in Christ's name worked a change in them, but it also works a change in us. Look at verse 13, chapter 4, verse 14. It works a change in us. The Pharisees saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. That's the testimony that you want. I perceive that you're an unlearned and ignorant man. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> but what blew him away is, is they don't have a word to say against this guy. This unlearned, ignorant man is flat boxing them out of the equation. And this is how, this is how a fisherman got over on them. They took knowledge of them that they'd been with Jesus. Man, being with Jesus changes you. It changes who you are. And it changes others. They behold the man, verse 14 which was healed standing with them, and they could say nothing against it. So what they did is they threatened them. We can't say anything against this. Obviously, you got the hook up, but we don't like it. So you shut up, or we'll beat you bloody. That's the threat. So what do you do whenever you're just obeying God, and you just deliver the goods that God tells you to deliver, and so help you, God, by his grace, and it's, in the, it's through faith in his word and in the power of his spirit, in response to our prayer, you just did what God told you to do, 
and somebody got hacked off and made trouble for you. What do you do? You tattle. That's what you do. Biblically, that's the right response. Go tell on the persecutor. So here it is. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 23. They tell the church. They report it to the church. So they went to their own company, verse 23, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And then once the church knows, step two of tattling is you tell Teot, right? You tattle on the persecutors to the Lord. Well, how do you do that? Well, Jesus says do it in faith, but do it in accord. Do it together. In Matthew chapter 18, we're instructed to come in Christ's name and call on the Lord in agreement. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Again, I say unto you, Matthew 18, 19, that if two of you shall agree, if you'll harmonize in prayer, the word there is symphono, symphony, right? If you'll just harmonize in prayer, if you'll agree in prayer, touching anything that they shall ask, ask according to my will, right? Ask in agreement and the promises it shall be done of them, for them, of my Father, which is in heaven. So to get prayer to harmonize means we're going to have to work at it. This is why Tuesday night prayer ministry is so important. You say, well, I have a job where I have to work on Tuesday night. Go find another job if that's what it takes. You say, that's pretty radical. Well, that's when the church comes together to pray. Does that make sense? You say, well, it's really tight. Well, get full of faith and trust God for the job that replaces the one that you have or the schedule at your job that replaces the one that you have. But we're coming together to symphonize, to harmonize our prayer before the Lord. Because when we do that, the promise is Christ is in that and we have what we ask. We've got a lot to ask for. I don't know if you've noticed, but Kansas City is on a murder bender 2019. Uh, Kansas City is losing its ever-loving mind. And if this group doesn't step out and speak up in faith and in the power of the Holy Spirit, under the authority and the power of Jesus' name, there's a lot of people that are going to die in their sin and go to hell. Why? We ought to ask God for them. I mean, they're just going to hell anyway. God, give them to us. We'll take them. Does that make sense? God, just give them to us. We're going to love, let them be part of our family. Let us lay down our lives loving them. I know what my Bible says. God's not willing that any should perish. And so if there are souls that need to be saved and they're not saved, it's because we're not crying out for their soul. We're not crying out for the opportunity to reach them with the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ. And then notice how they pray. Look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 24. They lift up their voice and they pray just like Jesus taught them to pray in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, this is called what? The Lord's Prayer. How does it begin? What's the first phrase? Power is real loud, like you know it. Our Father, which art in heaven. Okay, look at, look at what they do. So they lift up their voice in one accord. They're harmonizing in prayer. It's a symphony of prayer. And they said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. Where do they pray? Oh, God, you're the man. Just like God told them to in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father, which art in heaven. You are above, we are below. You are creator, we are creation. Do you see that? They're praying just like they've been taught to pray. They said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is. Our Father, which art in heaven, you're the man. So what comes next in the Lord's Prayer? What? 
Hallowed be thy, well, we'll keep that in the Our God which art in heaven's section. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth. Okay. So watch how they pray. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth have stood up. The rulers have gathered together. And they are going against you. Remember what's the next part of the Lord's Prayer? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, I'm, I, you need to know there are a whole bunch of people who are working very hard to overthrow your will on earth. Are you going to put up with that? Do you see what they're doing? They're tattling. Praise the Lord. That's what you do. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. God, you see they're going contrary to your will in heaven. You commanded us to preach in the name of Jesus. The world rulers here have commanded us not to. So what are you going to do about it? What comes next? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may distribute your bread. Right? That we may speak thy word. We want to preach Jesus in our city. By stretching forth thine hands to heal, that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child Jesus. We want to see our city transformed by the power, the authority, and the name of Jesus Christ. They don't, Midtown doesn't recognize that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now he either is or we're deluded. He either is or we're rebelling. You see that? If Midtown doesn't know that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, it's because we're powerless to make sure they know. Are you tracking with me? This city is desperate, and they don't even know what they're desperate for. And except you guys in this room get full of faith and move forward in the power of God's command, in the authority of Jesus Christ, in the power of his name, and in the power of his Holy Spirit, you know what's going to happen? You're going to go through your life wasting it, just living it for yourself. Or, in faith, you're going to have the open doors that you've asked for. You're going to have the opportunities to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ into the lives of lost. I do. I believe this with all of my heart. What do we have here? It's about, looks like about 130-something in this room. That's more than the 120 in Jerusalem. And in just a few short years, they turned their world upside down. And you're telling me you can't? Man, they put their pants on one leg at a time. Their poop, I promise you, it stunk to high heaven, just like yours. They're no different than you, except they got full of faith, and they humbled themselves. They got full of faith, and they obeyed. And in the face of pers certain persecution, in the face of great persecution, they move forward in faith, and then look what God does through them. The multitude of them... Uh, verse 31, sorry. And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. God, make your word reality in your people. Okay. So God rocked their place. They're filled with the Holy Ghost and they make disciples. They spake the word of God with boldness. Man, if we'll do that, God will rock us and then we'll rock the nations. And with great power, verse 33. Gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There is power, great power, in Christ's authority. There is power, there is great power in prayer. He commands us, so let's call on him for the reality of that in our life. 
There's great power in the Holy Ghost. There's great power in the name of Jesus Christ. And then here's power point, power key number five. There's great power in our witness. Man, if we'll just tell who God is, God will use that in people's lives. And if you believe that, you'll do that. Does that make sense? Man, plant the seed. You may just be the planter. Somebody else may be the waterer. But man, eventually somebody's going to harvest the seed of the gospel that you planted into the life of another person. That's how winning gets done. It's not by thinking about it. It's not like it's not by whinging about it, wringing our hands over how bad everything is and how nobody wants to hear. Man, the lost aren't looking for you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, it's not up to them. Right? They don't solicit it, but we're going to offer it because our king has commanded it. And there will be people who have no hope yesterday, today, have no hope. But if you will just testify in the name of Jesus of what God has done in your life, I promise you that tomorrow there will be people who before had no walk with God. Man, now they're walking with God. They're not just walking. They're singing and leaping and dancing and praising. What? You? No. They're going to cling to you because you're now their discipler. No, it's all going to be in the name above all names. The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what it's all about. God's desire is to be glorified in the nations. And so, man, with all my heart, I am praying for Kaya because he must first be glorified in you. Uh, I was a college pastor for a lot of years. And if I've said this once, I've said this thousands of times over the life of my ministry to young adults. Right now, you are nobody. And I'm not insulting you. I'm describing where you're at in life. Okay? Be very careful who you become. If you will stop just for a few minutes and think about it, you know a lot of people who have messed their lives up trying to go for a short gain, short short-handed, short-sighted pleasures. They try to get a life for themselves. Don't settle for that, the life that you can get for yourself. Man, live the life that God calls you to. Tomorrow, you're going to be somebody. You're going to be married. You're going to be employed. You're going to be this. You're going to be that. You're going to be a lot of things. You're going to be a parent. You're going to be a neighbor. You're going to be an educator. You're going to be a co-worker. You're going to be a lot of things tomorrow. Man, make sure that the things that you become are the things that God uses to take your life and invest it in the lives of others. Does this make sense? Yeah. Except Kaya takes seriously the name, the authority, the power of Jesus Christ. Except you prioritize the person and the work of Christ in your life. Man, where's the hope for Midtown Baptist Temple? All the rest of our church, it's all these people that are married with kids and problems and and, uh, and let me tell you, God's using a lot of them. But a lot of them are starting out behind the eight ball. You've got an opportunity to leapfrog them if you'll just do it. Does that make sense? Uh, it's, you know, it's the young people that have the most opportunities. With all my heart, I'm praying for you to get full of faith and engage this city for the glory of Jesus Christ. We want to see the lame walk, leap. And glorify God. Amen. Amen. Father, bless my brothers and sisters in Kaya. Be glorified in them. Help them to see. We don't need to be clever. You know, there's a lot of clever people here. We don't need to be good looking. There are a lot of beautiful people here. We don't need to be strong. 
There are a lot of people who can bench press a lot of weight here. We don't need to be uh, super able in our technical capacity. And I'm sure there's so many gifts and talents in this room. Lord, all of that is vain. It's transitory. Um, none of that can change a person's life. But God, we can submit ourselves to you. And Lord, you can take our lives and work through them. And God, through your power, we can see souls saved. Through your power, we can see the lame walk. Through your power, we can endure persecution. Lord, through your power, you can be greatly glorified in our campuses, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods. God bless Kaya to get full of faith. And Lord, to get hungry for power. Not power to be lords over other men, but power to speak into their hearts. Lord, I'm begging you. Open their eyes. Deliver them from false fantasies. Lord, foolish desires. Second-rate substitutes. God, let them be satisfied with nothing less than your person and your work manifest in their life. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I love you so much. Thanks for letting me hang with you this morning. Hey, we're going to get back into worship real quick just to end. I just wanted to make this clear. Now, this may be a phrase. Um, Dylan did get into rockers. Thank you.